Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Political State. I'm Ben Felder here in the Oklahomans Video Studios. Joining me, my Political State co-hosts, Justin Wingeter, Dale Dinwalt, and gentlemen, this is going to be our final episode of 2018. We're going to take a break next week, the Christmas holiday. We'll come back in the start of the new year. But given that this is our last episode of the year, this is obviously a time of reflection. A lot of lists being uh, produced right now. So I thought we would kind of you know, make a list or a moment of reflection of our own and kind of look at some of the big political storylines from this past year. And there were quite a few. Obviously, election year produced some of that, but a lot of other drama uh, to recap. And Justin, I asked you to kind of bring, you know, your three top stories, not necessarily in order, but from the federal government, you know, beat that you cover and Dale, you with, with state government um, that you've been covering. And so Dale, let's start with you. So like I said, not necessarily in any particular order, um, but you know, what, what do you feel like were the three biggest, you know, state political storylines uh, of 2018? When, I, when you asked me to, to think about this, the first thing that came to mind was the election. Uh, not only the pri- the general election, but the primary election, mm-hmm. and not only the primary election, but the people who didn't run for re-election. Yeah. Um, you talk about the turnover in state government this year. It's been phenomenal. It's phenomenal, as in uh, incredibly uh, significant. Yeah. Because so many people who were at the Capitol last year are not coming back when the legislature convenes again in February. Um, some of that is due to just being tired of the job, tired and uh, knowing that they may not win re-election. Some of those actually lost their re-election bids in the mm-hmm. primary. Uh, and so you're, you're coming into a situation with a lot of new people and uh, people who are going to have to learn how things work at the Capitol. But really, the, I think the top political story of the year is uh, what voters did to uh, legislative incumbents. Yeah, and elections are, you know, it's always going to be a big storyline in an election year. Um, but as you said, you know, more than maybe other years, there seemed to be a lot of that turnover, some because incumbents lost, which up until this year was kind of a, you know, just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, you also saw some members not run again. There's kind of been this general sense that the legislature has kind of moved more to a, a moderate position. Part of that is because some of the incumbents that were, uh, you know, you know, never taxers that really kind of stood in the way of some of the tax packages the majority of the legislature on both sides of the aisle was supportive of. Um, you know, they stood in the way and many of those lawmakers lost their seat. Um, but then I also think we don't know the answer to that. We don't know if that's completely true yet because there's so many, you know, new lawmakers that, you know, I don't know that we have a good handle yet on, you know, what the, you know, the, the, where they fall on the political scale. Right. We only know who we don't have anymore. Right. You know, only uh, a member or two from the uh, the platform caucus, the 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 the, uh, the very uh, sort of very conservative uh, members who, like you said, would vote against the uh, uh, just about everything that the leadership wanted, mm-hmm. um, most of them are gone. Um, but do we know enough about the people coming in to say whether that they, they would join something like a platform caucus uh, yeah. if they'd come in in any other year? Yeah. I mean, there's no legislative history for right. when you have so many new members. And we don't know what... 
you know, what issues are kind of near and dear to their heart. A lot of people ran on education. A lot of people ran on just kind of wanting to bring practical solutions. Some had details, some didn't. You know, we don't know what lobbyists have gotten to them. I always think of that scene in, in, uh, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or whatever the first one was called, where every kid wins, and then there's that, uh, the guy from the competing chocolate company that's always in the ear right immediately, <laughs> and it kind of changes their tune. And we don't know what the impact of that is going to be yet. But yeah, so many new lawmakers, um, and with a, improved financial situation next year that's right it, it, uh, you know maybe some of that gridlock you know is is not going to take place and so maybe it's going to be an easy governing experience but uh, you know we don't know what we don't know and and when truth be told we don't know you know a lot about these new lawmakers that's right it, it really remains to be seen and um, as far as the question about whether this legislature has gotten more moderate uh, I, I think you'll probably see a, a little bit of that but you'll also see um, Republicans, by you know, by the way, there are a lot of Republicans still in the legislature, trying to find where the edge is, of uh, where they think they can go with the political uh, mindset that is out there right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, elections, big one. Uh, what else you got for us? Uh, medical marijuana was a huge story. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, voters passed it um, on the same day as the primary election, and really. Uh, had to kick the government in the butt to actually try to do something uh, to get the uh, the law in a, uh, in a place where it can be enacted um, and and functioning. Um, and you know, the uh, some leaders in the legislature uh, started very quickly uh, convening meetings to talk about uh, what uh, what they thought was a, a good course of action. Now that we have this law, and you know, no law exists in a vacuum. And so they, they spent several months trying to figure out what kind of policies need to be added or removed or uh, enhanced uh, as part of, uh, part of this industry that is brand new in the state of Oklahoma. And although it's been around in other states for a decade or more, uh, it's still kind of uneasy. Uh, pe people feel uneasy about um, how the industry is, is going to work. Yeah, and this is a, you know, an issue that you know, many conservatives are, you know, are more likely to probably, you know, frown on medical marijuana, sure. although a conservative state like Oklahoma passed it, voters passed it. And so it was kind of this conflict, a mostly Republican legislature, many of which who were outspoken in their opposition, were now kind of forced to act. And it really kind of changed the political landscape, changed the actual landscape, just driving through the city. I mean, you see a lot of these medical marijuana shops popping up. Um, but yeah, this was a really interesting moment of the will of the people uh, being spoken and lawmakers kind of having to scramble in, in an election year, and that probably had a lot of influence in an election year trying to scramble to, to, to meet the voters' demands. And it really, I think, taught lawmakers to listen to their constituents. Um, because even if, you know, a, a, a state representative from wherever was against medical marijuana, and all of a sudden he sees returns come from his district that, you know, it was voted overwhelmingly for, uh, he's going to have to change his tune. or um, if he starts speaking out, ag out against it or trying to revoke parts of it, he's going to upset a lot of the people in his constituency or hers, yeah. just as an example. So, yeah, it, it's, it, it was kind of, I think, a watershed moment for Oklahoma politics uh, in that, um, you know, the people definitively said something that they wanted that uh, you wouldn't uh, normally think that Oklahoma would really go for. 
and that's medical marijuana. Yeah. And you have the ramification that had just on that election. The turnout was through mm-hmm. the roof. Yeah. It was yeah. unheard of numbers for a primary turnout. That had some ramifications elsewhere on the ballot. So, yeah, that's a big issue, not only in implementation, but politically speaking, I mean, just that the effect it had on that one election. Yeah. And we're, we're going to be talking about medical marijuana um, as a significant policy issue for years. Yeah. 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 I mean, the legislature is going to have to deal with really, it has been dealing with, but it's definitely going to be. Uh, a priority for them in this next session. All right, uh, your, your number one story, I don't know if this is your number one, but your, your third <laughs> from, from 2018. Uh, right, the third story, uh, the, the teacher walkout and everything having to do with that. Um, part of that ties into elections, but um, the, you know, the teachers decided enough is enough. Um, education is not getting the funding it needs. Even though the legislature uh, passed and the governor signed a teacher pay raise bill just days before the planned walkout, uh, the leaders of the walkout said we're going to continue because, you know, we're not necessarily fighting for more teacher pay, uh, for only more teacher pay. We're fighting for uh, educational funding, and that's why they spent two weeks at the Capitol, um, you know, spread out, packed into the Capitol and spread out on the Capitol grounds, um, agitating really, trying to get legislators to um, to, to realize that uh, that they want more education funding. And the per people spending in Oklahoma has decreased uh, over the number over a number of years. Yeah, and that walkout really, you know, set the tone for almost every political storyline of, of of the past year, especially right. with the elections. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people were kind of t- trying to take that momentum and and, and making education a, a central issue. And I think going back to the beginning of statehood, people running for office would t- probably talk about education being important, but it really seemed to kind of really. Uh, you know, highlight that attention on education on the specific issues, primarily funding, uh, teacher pay. You know, the raise the raise happened, um, so maybe less of an attention on teacher pay. Um, but the whole idea of, of funding in the classroom really seemed to just, you know, you know, impact almost every race across the state. And of course, you had dozens of teachers that were also running. Um, and this was just kind of a. I think in a state that has struggled in so many ways. I mean, whether you know, if, if you're if you're a teacher, you can talk about the way that budget cuts have impacted you. But if you work in the healthcare system, if you work in transportation, if you're a state trooper, being limited on your miles a day. I mean, almost everybody across you know state government, uh, you know, the, the the workers that are the lifeblood of these these industries, these agencies, can tell you that you know tell you their own stories of, of challenges over the last decade. And so, while teachers were the, the center of attention on the walkout, some other public employees also joined in. But this really seemed to be that kind of, and I've said this before, that kind of scream in the pillow moment uh, for, for public workers and just for Oklahomans in general who have just felt like the last decade has been just this, this time of decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think, I think you know, both major candidates for governor really reflected that. You know, Edmondson you know, talking about wanting to increase education funding and, and really trying to rally that those educators in his camp but even Stitt with his talk of you know I want to be top 10 I think that was a direct response to Oklahomans feeling like for the last decade we we're on the bottom of every list and we continue to, to that decline and it's just this this moment of intense frustration as reporters we've always wondered where the bowling point would be mm-hmm. uh, at what point is this is this going to um, reach critical mass so to speak and I think that happened this year um, every voter I talked to um, not only listed education as, uh, if not their number one issue, and say in the top three, uh, but they were well versed in the issue enough to be able to talk about it. Yeah. They they had examples. They they knew numbers. Um, they they knew what they wanted, mm-hmm. and 
part of that also stems, I think, from an increase in uh, voter understanding of the issues, uh, a general understanding of the issues when it comes to state government that's been building over the last two or three years uh, because the, the budget was such a big problem. Uh, Oklahoma was cutting back every year and having massive shortfalls, and it really got people's attention. Uh, and I think if um, maybe if people hadn't already been so attuned to what the government was doing, I don't know if the if the uh, the fight over education uh, spending and teacher pay would have taken quite a, a, as as hard of a, a grip on the the psyche of Oklahomans as it did this year. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that probably contributed. But yeah, just amazing the level of uh, of interest uh, among all all walks of life here in this state when it comes to teachers and education. Yeah, I had those old textbooks too. Those those uh, tattered old textbooks became a rallying cry in themselves. There, that was it was a, it was a, all three of us were there. I mean, at the walkout, it was something to behold. And I can remember driving down Twenty Third and the. People are above you uh, are just you know yelling down at you. There are the signs and everything. Yeah. yeah, it was just it was a wild time at the Capitol, and uh, yeah, the, the public engagement with their government was incredible. And that was, and, and no matter where you, where you fall on the spectrum, because there's plenty of people who were opposed to the walkout and and, and, and didn't you know you know weren't in the teachers' corner, um, and you saw that from some lawmakers that uh, you know responded in a negative way. But no matter where you come on, just that the policy ideas are politically, um, you know, this was one of the the, the biggest demonstrations of, of democracy in action that we we've seen. You know, at least in terms of the symbolism of that. I mean, I remember there were moments. Um, you know, there was a different feeling in the outside the Capitol, the inside. Outside was this kind of you know public education rally, kind of a carnival-like you know tailgate atmosphere. You know, inside you had at times teachers chanting nonstop, so, literally outside the doors yeah. of the house, and you could hear hear it on there. You know, chanting for them to you know increase taxes, uh, you know, eliminate the capital gains tax deduction, literally spelling out capital gains on the lawn. I mean, this was Oklahomans. Uh, mostly teachers, but not all. There were, you know, parents and other members of the community that that were there, you know, demanding action of their of their lawmakers. And the Capitol truly is kind of the quote unquote people's house, and you know, more so than any other event. We really saw that this year with the walkout. Yeah. Never saw never saw as many people as I did, uh, especially for as long. And um, I, I was able to uh, a couple of times sort of mingle into the middle of the crowd during one of those times when it was there was a lot of fervor going on there was a vote happening uh in the house chamber that that you know the crowd didn't like and uh the energy it was almost infectious um uh having you know i don't know how many people you could cram in that building a few thousand um uh chanting and uh, yelling um it was an amazing sight to behold. One that I, I didn't think I, I would ever get to experience, but you see on TV sometimes. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, the last walkout was in 1990, so 28 years later. Um, so I guess we've got another 30 years to 28 to 30 years <laughs> to see this, see this again. Once in a generational movement, our moment. So um, obviously, plenty of other state storylines. But yeah, I think you hit it on on the head with with those three. So Justin, taking a look at the kind of the, the federal. Uh, federal beat that you cover as it relates to Oklahoma. Your top three stories. I imagine elections are going to be part of that, but but what do you got for us? Yeah, I'm going to count down. I'm gonna, you're actually going to give us the... Yeah, okay. and feel free to disagree with okay. my order here. That, right. That's part of the fun here. 
Uh, number three, I'm going with uh, Carpenter v. Murphy, the U.S. Supreme Court case on the Creek Reservation. Uh, arguments were heard throughout the year, still will be heard into next year, and we'll have a decision next year as well. The ramifications here are just fascinating. It's not strictly a political story, and, it, and my other two are, and so it's, it's probably not at the top for that reason, but the ramifications, the fascination with this case cannot really be under uh, cut. Uh, it, not only will we see what it results in, but just the interplay here between the state and the tribes where there has been a lot of coordination in recent years. They've, you go back a few decades, there were court cases all the time. They're always at odds. And now you have more cooperation and it's almost threatened by this case. So far, the two sides have gotten along, but they're, they've been chippy at times. There, there has been some back and forth, especially with the state's um, uh, lawyer, Lisa Blatt, arguing at the Supreme Court some very dire results or you know predictions from this and the, the tribes push back on that and so it's just it's a fascinating case for a lot of reasons and it will continue into next year but I think this year alone uh, it's been it's been an interesting one to watch yeah depending on how the decision goes next year um, you know that could be the biggest story one of the biggest you know it could be in your top three next year again we lose in a year but for those who may not be too familiar with I mean what are what's at stake here what other possible ramifications it, it kind of depends who you ask and that that is at the center of the case I mean, strictly speaking, it's whether or not the Creeks still have what you consider a traditional reservation, which is not what Oklahoma has called a reservation. It's one where they more or less own, you know, they have some jurisdiction within the areas. Right here, we're talking about criminal jurisdiction. So strictly speaking, it would just be, you know, if there are major cases against or committed by uh, Native Americans on the what was formerly the Creek Reservation, which was given to them in 1866, then you would, that, those cases would have to be tried in federal court rather than state court. So that, strictly speaking, is the only effect. Now, the state argues that it goes much beyond that. That, first of all, it wouldn't just be the Creeks. It would be all of the five tribes because they have similar histories, different in, at times, but fairly similar. And so the state argues that half of eastern Oklahoma, or you know, the half of Oklahoma, all of eastern Oklahoma, more or less, would be a reservation. And, and that would have effects on oil and gas, it would have effects on environmental regulations, on taxes, on gaming, et cetera, et cetera. The Creeks argue it's much more limited than that. It would have effect on some criminal jurisdiction only within the seven counties or so that make up the Creek Reservation. So it depends who you ask, and that's a, a volatile topic right there as far as what ramifications it would have. Yeah. All right. I, I agree with you. I think you're right so far with number three. So that maybe that is maybe that moves up the list next year, depending on what happens. Yeah, but what absolutely. do you got for number two? Uh, number two, I'm going with the scandals and resignation of Scott Pruitt. I mean, they the resignation came in July, I believe it was July 10th, if I recall correctly. And so you have months and months of scandals of national news about this. I mean, it just continued every single time. Just when you thought he couldn't take any more. He continued to stay in office, and he continued to, uh, reporters continued to find new things to write about. It, it just continued for months and months. I'm fascinated not only by what that means for, uh, you know, the EPA and for Pruitt himself, but you have kind of a butterfly effect here in mm -hmm. Oklahoma politics. This is someone who, I would argue, if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, he's a heck of a lot better off right now. I mean, he would stay as AG. He would continue suing the federal government, as he did, and grew to national fame doing so under the Obama administration. And um, 
he's probably well set for a, a run if he wants to do the Senate in 2020 or whatever it is he's looking for, a future political run. He just continues to amass support. Instead, he joins the EPA. He's beaten down by, I mean, scandals for just a year and a half or whatever it was and eventually leaves and leaves uh, and not the way you want to leave office, certainly. Now any political run is going to get difficult. Any ads against him, I mean, his primary and general uh, election opponents would just beat him up constantly. I and mean, from so many of those spending scandals, especially, are going to speak to Oklahomans who don't make a lot of money. And, you know, here's Pruitt spending money on things like, or, you know, his security. I mean, he's having his security drive him around. Uh, expensive restaurants or to buy a certain lotion. I mean, it just would have, these, if he tries to run again, and he may, it's going to be very difficult for him. So that changes uh, the kind of the pecking order of Republican politics in the state, in yeah. my opinion. And one of probably the most um, Trumpian of his picks, probably. I mean, one of the guys that probably was more in tune with Trump's you know, vision for how to run an agency than, than others. Yeah, and, still um, is. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, Pruitt had been you know, constantly suing the EPA, was the villain to the EPA, now found himself in charge of it. And from a, we've talked about this before, from a policy perspective, probably Trump was very pleased with everything he did. And if yeah. you are a, you know, a fervent Trump supporter, you probably really supported the, the direction that Pruitt was taking the EPA. Um, yet he couldn't survive those kind of scandals. And also kind of similar to Trump because, you know, it's been talked about a lot recently. I mean, from every direction right now, Trump is getting investigated in, in, in various ways. And, and the same thing was happening with Pruitt. And, uh, you know, he just couldn't stand, you know, just couldn't handle that pressure. was was too much at, at, after a while, and, and he had to leave office. Yep. So I like that, number two. That's a good one. And I hadn't even remembered that. Um, but uh, but that's a good one. Well, uh, so many things have happened here. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and it's been a while since we talked about Pruitt, so it has it's easy been, to yeah. forget. Uh, all right, your number one. I'm curious to see what you got. Um, the election of Kendra Horn. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, the, I think the walkout is the single biggest political story in the state this year. I think Kendra Horn is probably pretty close there. That yeah. Uh, I mean, five thirty-eight statistically says. This is the single biggest upset of the midterm elections this year, Nat, you know, across the whole country. And there were plenty of them. Uh, I mean, it just tells us so much, not only about this, I mean, you know, specifically her winning and that race, which is fascinating in itself. And it tells us things about this district, about Oklahoma County, uh, about just this changing urban versus rural dynamics. There's a lot to pick apart there, and we've done it quite a bit. Uh, but to me, it's just it's just kind of a catalyst to talk about so many other things. That it was it was a fascinating race to cover, to write about, and um, and now we have in the next year we have a Democrat in an all Republican, otherwise all Republican congressional delegation. Uh, we have a Democrat representing this city for the first time in decades. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm looking even this weekend and on some articles into what that means. What does it mean for uh, you know federal transportation spending? I mean, things like uh, just a number of different areas. <laughs> I've talked about it so much. I don't know what more to say about this race. But to me, it's one of the fascinating stories. And to, on my federal list, the most federal, you know, the most interesting federal news politics news of the year. And it was such a surprising win, and at the same time, maybe it shouldn't have been. And I think, you know, I want to point out and kind of give you credit, because 
Um, I mean, you were following her campaign since since day one, um, and giving it, you know, not that we're rooting for anybody, obviously, but uh, you know, giving her campaign some weight and some legitimacy. I mean, your coverage was, you know, treating her like a viable candidate because, you know, demographically speaking, in this district, she was a viable candidate. I mean, you you had stories before where, you know, outsiders had said, hey, when you look at the you know, the back of Oklahoma City's baseball card, it should be a democratic city in some ways. Yeah. Um, it just hasn't been. And so, um, and, you know, you reported on this, and I know recently, you know, obviously the New York Times, you know, had a video story from here just basically saying, you know, a city that's growing more diverse, that's growing younger, that this is what, you know, a democratic city looks like, and her win kind of solidifies that. Now, has, that, has, it, has the pendulum gone all the way to the other way? Is this a democratic, you know, district forever? I, you know, I think it's too soon to say that. There's a lot of people say, you know, Oklahoma City's Democrat now, you know, and, and will be forever. I, I think in two years there's going to be a pretty competitive race for this district as, as well. But this was just kind of the culmination of what we know about Oklahoma City politically, um, not just at the congressional level, but, you know, Democrats made some gains where they lost seats in rural parts of the state they gained in Oklahoma City, particularly in the northwest part of the city. So this is a transitioning city politically, and Kendra Horn really, um, you know, is kind of the poster child for that. And this will be the most interesting race to watch in 2020. Okay. I will say right now, yeah. <laughs> it may be one of my, on my list in 2020. So because... you've already got some of your work there. You, don't, you know, you only have two things to pick next year, and you probably only have two things to pick the year after that. <laughs> Um, given that, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree with the list. So it, it, after uh, this is a question about Kendra Horn. Um, uh, after she was elected, has, has she said or done anything that uh, that surprises you, uh, or uh, seems to belie to belie her positions as a as a candidate rather than a uh, representative? Um, you know, there's the there's the Pelosi stuff right now. I've been a little surprised that she hasn't uh, stated her support for them for Pelosi or her opposition. She's been just kind of in the middle on it. Um, you know, national de Democrats nationwide are getting asked about this time and time again. I'm a little surprised she doesn't have an answer publicly right now. Um, that's about it. I, I mean, otherwise, we're just so very early on. She hasn't taken office yet, as you know, of course, and won't for a couple more weeks. And so uh, we'll see. But uh, it'll be interesting to watch um, uh, even, like, small stuff, like who she, you know, her staff is, and that may look very different than where we've traditionally seen a congressional staff look like here. Uh, where her office is, the district office, you don't overanalyze these things, but I mean, clearly the mayors have, the last couple mayors have wanted the congressional office to be in the city, and it hasn't been. Uh, Russell's is in Dell City right now, and so even little things like that will be interesting. And then, of course, committee assignments. Uh, she really seems to want space and science. Uh, she has a history in, in, space, in the space industry. And so what she does there with Congressman Lucas will be vice uh, ranking member of that committee. So those two could actually pair up quite a bit. How she plays with the other members, I think it will be pretty cordial. But there's just, they're just so much to yep. watch here. Yep. <laughs> if you're a political wonk, fascinating yeah definitely well i agree with the ranking of your list um i, I want like some pushback i was expecting <laughs> <laughs> no I, i'll go with that um no i think and i think you had the right the right order all right i, I agree <laughs> i have my stamp of approval on that list hey before we wrap up here i wanted to take a moment dale um you know you're uh, uh continuing to, to to be on the show but your your beats kind of changed and um and i'm kind of excited about some of the things that you've already covered i just kind of wanted to give you a, a chance to kind of introduce our listeners and, and viewers to just kind of some of the things that they can expect coming from, from your desk. Right, so I'm uh, really focused on aerospace and technology. 
um, uh, covering those beats. Um, I'm no longer officing at the Capitol, so you know I, I may be somewhat disconnected from what's going on there as I cover the aerospace industry and the uh, ascension of Oklahoma's technology community, which is really incredible. Uh, one of the first things that I was really blown away by is how much of a community there is mm-hmm. uh, among uh, software developers um, and people with other you know jobs that kind of fit into the mold of technology. Um, I think Oklahoma City, there's a lot of really interesting stories in Oklahoma City and in Oklahoma in general uh, on on this this beat in particular that I really uh, look forward to telling. Yeah, and there'll be some political you know uh, yep. threads to that as well. I mean, it's something that the state government has talked a lot about is expanding the aerospace industry, trying to diversify the economy. Um, but this is the new new beat. I think your passion's already clear in some of the early things that you've written about and talked about. So uh, we wish you luck on that. We want you to continue to be on political state. But uh, thank you. Uh, looking forward to that coverage. So, Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State. As I said at the top, this is going to be our last episode of 2018. But we'll be back in a couple weeks starting the new year. With Justin and Dale, I'm Ben. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll see you in a couple weeks.